Welcome back to this new episode of the Vegan Cast. I'm here with Chef Chris Twenty One Twelve, renowned chef, vegan chef, of course, plant based, living in Prince Edward County on a beautiful farmhouse, and um, he does dinners. He goes and well, you know, I will. He's here with me, so. What do you do, Chef Chris? Well, I just want to say I'm excited to be on the podcast. It's great. I'm a fan. Uh, yeah, well, you know, uh, because I started 10 years ago, uh, moved here about 10 years ago to beautiful Prince Edward County, but so it's in rural Canada. Um, and rural Canada isn't very necessarily dense with with people who are vegan it's changing right. people's minds are, are changing um but certainly 10 years ago there wasn't any so i've had to sort of do a bunch of different things to to get uh enough clientele so i do i do pop-up dinners prince edward county's famous for its wineries and breweries i have a good relationship with those people and so i go in and i'll take over their their uh, either restaurant or winery or brewery yeah. for a night and sell tickets and people come in for, for a vegan tasting meal. Right. Um, I'm also the executive chef at a spa that's about two hours north of here called Grail Springs near Bancroft. And uh, it's a beautiful place on the lake and um, you can get all different healing modalities there and you get uh, um, three vegan meals a day there. Um, and that's a, that's a really fun experience. And uh, other than that, I do catering whenever wow. people, um, Prince Edward County, a lot of people get married here. Um, so when people want a vegan wedding, and so far that's about maybe two weddings a year in yeah. Prince Edward County. Oh, that's a um, big job. Yeah. And so, uh, um, and that's really fun. Um, I find the cooking for weddings rewarding mm. as well. Oh, that sounds all fantastic. So uh, I had to ask with the... Uh, Three vegan meals. Are you doing these alone at the spa? Are you? Uh, how is this working? Because it sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, I generally we do. Um, the number of people at the spa ranges usually between about uh, fifteen to twenty-five in a mm-hmm. day. So I do it all by myself. Sometimes I'll have a dishwasher in there, um, or if it's very busy, I'll have a helper. But generally, the idea is I do it by myself. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's um, you know, it's it's. What you do when you're a chef, we, I start, I have long days there. I start, um, you know, at 6.30 in the morning because I have, have a breakfast ready. Yeah. And by the time we're done cleaning for after dinner, it's about 8 at wow. night. So that's those are long days, but it makes it worth my while yeah. to, to go up there. Yeah, yeah. That sounds awesome. Intense, great experience. So first question, second question, I guess. When did you first go vegan? I first, well, you know, I went vegetarian uh so i grew up in belleville ontario Mm -hmm. close to here had never even heard of veganism um in my life i you know um had never consciously had a meal without meat you know yeah um and then i went to the university of british columbia you know when i graduated and uh really got exposed to um vegan food and vegetarian food i went to the nom um, for the first time, had my first sort of consciously vegetarian meal. Wow. Then, um, through a series of events, I, I got really inspired by macrobiotic cooking. And uh, that was sort of a, a, a really important um, informational... I took in all the information they had, and that was really useful for me. So I went down to California to study with um, this woman, Cornelia Ihera, who is a, a traditional... Um, 
plant-based uh, chef, uh, traditional Japanese food, the Japanese never really used dairy. Right. So it was pretty easy for, so then that's sort of shaped. Mm. I went quickly from vegetarian to vegan, wow. you know, from seeing the, right. I wasn't like, oh, I couldn't do it without cheese, yeah. you know? Some of the Western vegetarian type yeah, cuisine yeah. includes a lot of cheese in it and people stay in that thing. But by, and I think this is still true today. I encourage people, you know, look to Asian cultures that did need a lot of dairy yeah. for inspiration for food ideas and huh. such. Yeah. That's really, really interesting. Wow. So uh, when you said Nam, was that Vietnam when you first had your first vegetarian? Oh, no, it's yeah. called the Nam, oh. uh, but it's been open since the 60s. Yeah. And uh, it's a 24-hour vegetarian restaurant, still open there in Vancouver. Cool. So you can go there at 2 in the morning and get a blueberry smoothie or some, like, fries and miso gravy. It's a neat place, uh, especially for a young young person like me. Yeah, it was really impressionable. Oh, awesome. Now... When was your first interest? I mean, you kind of answered this, but in depth, when was your first uh, interest into vegan cooking? When did it start? Yeah, well, so, um, you know, I became uh, a vegan and then it was like, especially back then, people were really freaked out about it. And they'd say, oh, we were going to invite you over for dinner, but we don't know what to cook. And, you know, I didn't become vegan to like lose my friends. Uh, it was just a, sort of the path I was on. So... I was like, well, if I can cook, then I can just say, oh, don't worry about it. I'll come over. I'll cook. And uh, and that was sort of the impetus of it. And so uh, that and having to know for myself, you know. So then I started uh, just uh, teaching myself. Um, I, I went, I cooked through all those Molly Katzen books, the Moosewood cookbooks. And that was the first thing. Um, but then there was this, so it was like, I learned all these dishes, but I didn't know when or where to cook them. Like you can make any dish, Thai, you know, pad Thai, gado gado, but when and why? So macrobiotics, when I discovered it, sort of taught me cooking with the seasons, eating local plants, mm -hmm. this kind of stuff in it sort of their signposts and they ordered, they gave right. me an idea of, of composition of the meals and such. So that's, you know, that's uh, from there I went down to California right. and that's when I really started professionally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's really inspiring that you, uh, and I guess uh, I, could, I could learn something from this when uh, friends who uh, are interested in having me for dinner but are also afraid because I'm the vegan. Right. Yeah, to yeah. cook for them, that makes a lot of sense, and uh, really, really cool, really interesting. So, uh, wow, really something to think about for, for me especially. So, now, what is the hardest part, and I guess you have to do this a lot, cook for non-vegans, especially mm -hmm. up here in the county. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the hardest part of cooking for people who have, maybe haven't heard of veganism? Yeah, hardest part. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Um, I'm really a lot of times I'm cooking for, for non-vegans. Uh, and I, you know, that's what I'm in it for. That's, the, you know, uh, weddings, you know, often it's a vegan, sometimes it's just the bride who's vegan. Mm. And then there's this whole big party, but she wants them to see this great food up at the spa. You know, often people aren't, uh, vegan when they get there. I've gotten emails, um, from people who said that they, uh, came ate the food at the spa, were totally inspired and have become vegan. And that's like the best, that's why I get up in the morning, you know? Um, and so uh, the hardest part is getting over people. Well, there's two main challenges. One is people's preconceptions. If they're coming in and they're 
you know, food's subjective. Yeah. You know, there's no objectively yeah, yeah, delicious yeah. food. People right. can like it or not. <laughs> so, yeah. so if they come in with skewed mental perceptions, it can affect their enjoyment of the food. The second challenge is, and this is like something I think is really important because sure, people want to become vegan for lots of different reasons, but you know, if the food isn't tasty and satisfying, it's going to be harder for them. So trying to create, you know, cuisine that's, that's satisfying. So getting the fat in there, getting the salt, hitting all the flavor notes, having your mammy in there so that when they finish eating their meal, they feel satisfied right. they, and, and they, they don't feel like they need to go yeah. eat some meat or right. something to finish it. Cause you just don't want, you know, cause that would be a failure. Um, and so that is the hardest part. And then, so whenever I'm cooking anything, it's almost like chemistry. Um, just breaking it down. What is the experience of eating meat? What's in there? Fats, you know, toothiness, something mm. to chew on. Mm. Um, yeah, the sweetness, the salt, all the flavors, and and um, you put all that in there, and we have the advantage of our meals being more beautiful. Yeah, uh, and that I find helps people break down their conceptions too. You bring them this right. beautiful plate. Right. It's hard to like be like, nah, <laughs> that's not very. I'm not. I'm not interested in that. It's I like, get that. Yeah, you blow that them away with the, with the visual because yeah. you know vegan food. We don't have to have this big brown thing in the middle of yeah, our yeah. plate, which is you just can't. It's just not that pretty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, right. so we've got all these colorful ingredients, and it's like, so we make just this wow, and then uh, and then it, it makes people excited to eat it, and that's that's step one, I think, you know? Oh, fantastic, and does make, yeah, that's, I, I, I would have guessed, yeah. <laughs> you don't need a piece of meat to make a feast look beautiful. <laughs> yeah. No, in fact, and, uh, and that's our advantage, so yeah. I like to lean into it. That and the fresh flavors, um, you know, because... Uh, you know, dairy really mutes flavors. Mm. It, it does release endorphins because of the fat. Yeah. Um, but it, it and the opioids I heard. Yeah, there's a, a few yeah chem, mm. chemical constituents that are actually kind of addictive. Uh, yeah. But also, yeah, they release all these endorphins. Um, again, that's why I want to make sure I have you know a reasonable fat. Con- I'm, I'm making right. healthy food, but I want good healthy fats in there yeah. because the endorphins. Uh, in the brain, you know, people say something like people eat cream cheese right. and they'll say, oh, it's delicious. But is cream cheese really delicious? Yeah. No, yeah. it's fatty. So when they eat it, they get happy neurons yeah. in their brain and they say, oh, that's delicious. But it's not. Yeah. Like uh, cheesecake. Yeah, yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Now, uh, the flavors are, you know, in the vegetables and the fruits and stuff, they are delicious. And so it's a matter of, yeah, just including enough good healthy fats that that those endorphins do release uh, the fat in, like, our brain gets happy when we eat fat because it's what we need. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure that's in there um, so that so that people do have that physical reaction. Right. Um, which is, uh, and then, yeah, like I say, we, we have the advantage, flavor and, and beauty. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Charming the audience with the fat, with the the shirt, what they like. That's what they're used to. Yeah, what they're used to. Such a and such a great point that I I I've like kind of been across in my life like the fact that cream cheese cheesecake. When I was eating it before I became vegan, I was kind of like, this is a little weird, a little gross. Yeah. Why? Why am I eating this? I'm like, well, I feel good when I eat it. Right. must but but not after yeah no i don't yeah it was gross yeah anyways yeah oh man 
Favorite ingredient to use when you're making vegan food? That's a really great question. I'm a big fan of mushrooms. Um, mushrooms filled with umami um, and, and meaty texture. Something for people to stick their, their teeth into and chew. One of the challenges um, with plant-based food is that, uh, you know, we do a lot of blending in our Vitamix, stuff like that. But the texture, you don't want it all to be to be baby food. Mm-hmm. Um, so often I will leave vegetables whole. So that's something to chew on. Um, but the mushrooms I find are really great because they have this uh, meaty texture and it gives people that sort of... Uh, sensation of chewing like they're used to you know yeah Uh, mushrooms and then you know really good soy sauce is another one that i really like to use again full of umami Mm -hmm. and you can sneak it in you know you can't put mushrooms and everything but i'll put uh you know some really good if you can get unpasteurized soy sauce or even like a nice miso so uh that stuff is is full of lactobacillus you know really beneficial enzymes but it's also um, got the umami and you can hide it in things. It doesn't always have to be the star. You can put, so I saw, I put them in desserts, you know, because you want the umami to be in the desserts. If you go, uh, Noma in Copenhagen, a lot of people consider it to be the best restaurant in the world. Rene Redzepe is the chef there. In the summer, he has a plant-based tasting menu. It's not entirely vegan. I think it's 18 courses. Mm-hmm. There's like one of the courses has insects in it and another of the courses had, well, this year it's not having, it had dairy in it, some kind of weird dairy. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise though, it was like basically 16 plant-based courses, yeah. but he puts fermented food in all of those courses because they have the umami in it. And even if it's just a little bit in it to make it satisfying, to give you all the flavors. And, you know, I've mentioned umami a few times here in uh, this interview. And I'll just take a quick second to, to define it. It's um, so it's the fifth flavor. We have sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and then umami. We have 52 umami receptors on our taste track. So it's a real thing. Um, and it's mostly glutamates that fill those receptors. Um, but when you, one of the places that you'll find umami um, that isn't bound up with fats and salts is in a fresh yeah. cherry tomato. Right. You know, this is so crazy. I thought this whole time. I don't feel like an idiot for saying this, but I thought this whole time that umami was a herb. No, no, no. no umami is a flavor. Wow. Um, and it's just uh, coming more and more into the foreground uh, with chefs. But when you eat a fresh cherry tomato and you're just like, oh, that's so delicious. Oh, I can't, I can't stop eating them. Yeah. And, you know, they're a little bit sweet and they're a little bit sour, but that's not why. They're sweeter and sourer mm-hmm. things. It's well, the reason you're feeling like that and the endorphins are releasing in your brain is because of the umami that's hooking up with your umami receptors. So um, basically you want to have, if you can have all five flavors in a meal, it's going to be more satisfying to yeah. the people. So um, that's why Rene Redzepe has a fermentation R&D lab in his restaurant. And because the fermented products are filled with umami and he puts them in every single course. So in your dessert course and every course. And the reason he does that is so that every course is a complete wow, is a complete that that is gave me everything I wanted. Yeah. Um, So I think about that a lot and I encourage um, vegan chefs because. So when you look at French or Italian cuisine, which has been the main influence, I would say, on our sort of Western North American culture, Mm -hmm. they 
have a big piece of meat in the middle of the plate, and then they have like, oh, some steamed broccoli, some mashed potatoes on the side. Meat is filled with umami. Mm -hmm. Now you take that meat out and you put, oh, some brown rice and some sweet potatoes, as we might have done in like the 60s or 70s here. There's no umami left in that dish because you took it all out. So that's where I think sometimes vegan food would have a, in the past, would have a reputation of being bland or unfulfilling because people don't have their receptors for umami filled at the end of the meal they don't feel they're done where's the meat why am i not done? so interesting so i always encourage people to think about that and include umami in their flavor profile their meals in order to make it satisfying um for everyone oh wow so that's so crazy like i had no idea about this uh this flavor umami and when you look at so i talked about the italian western cuisines when you look at the asian cultures that didn't have dairy because they didn't have refrigeration or because they're on an island they don't have a bunch of cows or whatever they have worked hard to create products that um fill that need whether it be like the misos and soy sauces of japan or the uh, fermented black beans in china kimchi exactly um although kimchi they're using fish sauce often but you can do it without obviously and uh um, all of those things, the tempehs and stuff, those are umami-rich foods that those cultures came up with because they wanted their food to be delicious and they didn't have dairy. That's so interesting. Wow. I would never have guessed. Never. Wow. So uh, so the, so the uh, in the Asian cultures, when they're making food, they're using umami flavors to, uh, to enhance the taste buds. Yeah, and, and nutrition and preservation. So there's a, a lot of reasons for it, but right. I'm looking at it from a culinary right. culinary perspective being a chef, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because they didn't always have meat and they didn't always have dairy, um, but they always had delicious food. Yeah, <laughs> that is very, very, very interesting. I have to, I'm going to I'm gonna have to think about that next time I'm cooking. I'm going to have to think, incorporating. Yeah. yeah, Which I encourage, yeah. All right. Do you think that we are on track to form a vegan world? Kind of a big question, kind of a big curveball, but... Uh, I think we're just going to have to. Yeah. I I don't see us... You know, even... I do. You know, I'm listening to this... Uh, uh, to, I listen to a lot of podcasts from famous chefs. These guys are the leaders in, in food trends, and they're staunch meet people you know when you've heard them in the past but i already mentioned rene redzepe um so he he did this you know almost plant-based 18 course tasting menu the last two summers for a third of the year and i heard him on a podcast saying that he thought that that would probably he would go in that direction that eventually noma would just be vegan right then more recently i was listening to a david chang pod um david chang of momofuku one of the most important chefs in america he was talking. Um, he was talking with Wiley Dufresne, another probably the greatest American chef of all time, and they were just saying, you know, they, these guys think about food more than anyone. And here they were in the lockdown, so they had some time to think and slow down. And they were just saying, seven and a half million people just can't eat a whole bunch of meat all the time. These mm-hmm. guys think about this all the time. And this is just staring them in the face right now. Yeah. And so these guys who think about food a lot and would love to just, you know, so much of their craft and what they've learned over the years is about cooking meat. But they're at the point 
where they're going to make the decision to go plant-based and that's going to revolutionize the way people look at at food because it starts with them. Then it becomes acceptable with all the other chefs. Then it becomes more accepted in the population. Yeah. It's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The the trendsetters of this. uh, That's right. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Something really to think about. Something really to think. Yeah. It's optimistic. Uh, I'm really happy to see those guys because in the past, those guys have made sort of anti-vegan statements and now you're hearing them say, you know what? They're right. Yeah. Head of your time. Chef Chris. All right. (laughs) Next question. What do you think is the number one challenge in creating a more vegan world? I guess you kind of, it kind of touched, you maybe touched upon this, but, um, Really, what would you say? Well, two things. The one I already mentioned, of course, if we can make the food just as delicious, which obviously we can, even more delicious, yeah. that's going to be important because, you know, it's harder for people to choose less delicious food. The other thing is the, the biggest challenge is, honestly, it's political. Uh, you look at the power that uh, these giant agriculture, these factory farms have. They're huge companies. They're all owned by billionaires. They're the most powerful people in the world. They have our governments in their pockets. And so, you know, that's that's the biggest challenge because it's not going to come from the government policy and it's not, you know, the, the money, the big money in the world is is for some reason invested in these factory farms and such. So, um, it's got to be a grassroots thing. It's got to be the, the, the people underneath waking up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. Definitely does. Uh, you know, uh, I was just, I was thinking, I, we had this conversation once uh, where you were talking about how, so I'm, I'm interested. What do you think about meats, like fake meats, like uh, Beyond Meats? Because I remember you saying that perhaps we should be progressing towards not so much as to mock meats but more as to our uh progression in terms of new vegan foods things that are innovative things like that so i'm interested to hear more about that yeah that's a a cool question um you know i'm super supportive of that stuff uh um if you know if if one person eats a beyond meat burger instead of a real hamburger it's been a, a victory um, and so, yeah, I see it as a transition phase. Like, I think that, um, you know, even vegan cuisine right now is, is in what we would call a transition phase. Cause imagine, you know, they're saying there's going to be a million more vegans in Canada at the end of this year than there was at the beginning of this year. So this is a trend obviously that's happening. And, you know, so imagine a couple generations from now, you know, is that you have children mm. and, and they grow up being vegan, you know, and then they have kids that are raised being vegan. So we start having this kind of plant-based culture. So imagine your great grandkids and your few generations of vegan, are they going to be like, Oh, this is great. It tastes just like chicken, you know? So, so I do think we need staples. I, I don't think that there's enough staples in the vegan. We, you know, it's neat now because we live in this global, uh, world where we can share all the best vegan recipes from around the world through history. Um, and we can veganize some great old, old dishes. Um, and that makes it a diverse, uh, I mean, there already is a real diverse, um, amount of, of, 
foods that you can eat. But when you look at like the French culinary lexicon or the um, Italian, they have thousands and thousands of dishes that that everyone knows and uh, i think we have more of those kind of like staple dishes to add to the to the vegan cuisine and i see it as a type of cuisine and so um well i think that it's great for people to be making um food that helps people transition into a plant-based diet by giving them a burger that they recognize and eat. I also think it's important, and this is where I try to uh, put my head when I'm, uh, you know, developing dishes and stuff is like, what, what about after that transition? What are, what, what is the, what is the food that, you know, is nutritious, fills all that stuff, isn't copying some other thing, is relying on the strengths of vegan cuisine that we can add to that canon that we can add to the to the list of things that people make and eat and so that uh you know in the future we can just have all these wonderful vegan dishes that people know about um and so yeah it's hard to think outside that box and put yourself into the future but uh um i think it's worth it wow yeah, yeah. that's a revolutionary concept and uh Definitely, uh, are you being ahead of your time for thinking about something like that? Because it uh, makes a lot of sense. If uh, my kids, they're definitely being vegan, and then grandkids, and eventually, yeah, people won't know the taste of animal flesh anymore. They'll think, you know, super interesting, super something, something really to think about. So, uh, this question is a, a little bit, a little bit more, uh, what's it called, philosophical. What do you think about the difference between? Uh, vegan and plant-based and from what i see right now with the trend i would call it a plant-based sort of trend towards uh, a more plant-based future now with veganism it's usually about uh, the ethics behind the animals and such so uh i'm interested to hear your thoughts what do you think about the whole plant-based versus vegan yeah it's pretty interesting um you know i'm a vegan um and, uh, I think that, but I focus on, you know, plant-based cuisine, right. Mm -hmm. You know, cause that's sort of what I control. I, I'm not a coat maker. Yeah. You know, I'm not a shoemaker. If I was, you know, we'd be talking about that and I'd be saying like, the key is to make vegan shoes that are just as good as the leather shoes, you know? And, and there are people doing that obviously. And yeah. there are people, uh, making coats that, that last as long as yeah. leather coats and stuff like that. Um, and I'm glad to see people doing that on all those levels. Um, I think that eventually if you eat a plant-based diet yeah. for a little while, even if it's not for the ethics, yeah. you're going to get there. Right. That I think to you me. are. Yeah, definitely. You know, you, you know, it just, it sort of does change the way you look at the world. And, uh, I think that after not eating meat for a certain amount of time, you, you probably aren't going to be able to stomach wearing a leather coat or, mm. uh, or, and beyond that, you start looking into it, yeah. you know, and start researching, you know, you're going to vegan restaurants, you're hanging out yeah. with other vegan people. Like it's gotta affect you. So I think, you know, it's a good start, right? Okay, it's, yeah. You're moving in the right direction, right. you know? Wow. And I don't think that, you know, I, I, I would be shocked, you know, obviously it'll happen, but I don't think there'd be a lot of people you know, who have not eaten um, any meat for five years and they're wearing a leather jacket. It just yeah. seems bizarre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get that completely. And I, I, I really, I definitely agree with that statement. Really interesting. Something to definitely think about as plant-based being sort of a transition state to see the ethics behind veganism. Now, uh, 
what was I going to say? I was going to say something. It's Mercury retrograding right now, so I haven't been uh, getting my thoughts together so well. But um, in terms of the fact of uh, becoming, uh, becoming a vegan from plant-based eating, what would you say is the number, or let's just say becoming plant-based just in general, maybe not but vegan or plant-based, whatever. In general, what would you say is the number one thing that we should be eating, we should be uh, incorporating into our diet to make the transition easier, to make the transition more smooth and such? Yeah, well, that's pretty cool. There's so many things. I, I, I'm going to go with, uh, with the fermented foods, you know, getting the, you know, the vegan kimchis, the sauerkrauts, the unpasteurized soy sauces, the... Uh, um, unpasteurized misos, um, you know, all kinds of stuff, the kombuchas and stuff, those things, because they're super, they, you know, they're a source of B12. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the most difficult things when on a vegan diet, people are always like, where do you get your protein? Where do you get your calcium? Not a problem. Don't even worry about it. Uh, where do you get your uh, vitamin D and B12 yeah. is a challenge for even people who eat meat. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a, it's especially here in Canada where the, the vitamin D isn't always readily available. That's the stuff we need to think about. And um, I think the fermented foods are a good way to get that. So not only do they add the umami, which balances the meals and makes it more satisfying, it's also offering you B12 um, uh, as a support for your system, just a crucial and difficult to get, um, vitamin. So, so that's, that's what I, I would suggest. Like that's the thing to add in there, whether mm -hmm. it just, it doesn't have to be a ton, a little bit of sauerkraut or a little bit of kimchi, a little bit, um, of unpasteurized miso or soy sauce in there, um, all the time. Uh, those things that, that would be my number one. The second thing is dark leafy greens. You yeah. gotta eat them every day. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of cool ways to eat them, whether you're blending them in a smoothie or blending them in a soup or, uh, um, making pestos with them. Uh, but they need to be a part of your diet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fermented foods taste incredible too. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, that'll definitely make an easier transition. Uh, I remember for me, when I first went vegan, I think the hardest thing was definitely, uh, or I was first plant-based. I went from vegetarian, wearing leather, to going plant-based, and uh, I remember it being really hard to leave cheese. Now, in terms of uh, leaving cheese behind, uh, what would you say is the number one thing that we can do to replace that sensation, that need for cheese? The, yeah. Yeah, there are some chemicals in uh, in cheese that are hard to replace, uh, some addictive uh, constituents. For me, though, it's really about fat. Mm -hmm. If you have fat and umami, people, it's like, like that's what, what people are going for for cheese. So, uh, you know, uh, there's and people are coming up with new vegan cheeses every day. Uh, my, I have a friend here in Prince Edward County. She is starting a company and uh, what she has done is ordered the vegan um, molds of the cheeses. So she's got the blue cheese mold and the brie mold and the, and the camembert. So what they do, you know, to make those cheeses, they get the milk, they create the cheese and then they, then they'll put that inoculate with that mold and age it. So she's making, you know, uh, nut and seed based cheeses and she's inoculating them with these molds and aging them 
And then you're really getting the real right. flavors of those cheeses yeah. without having any dairy involved. So like a real blue flavor. It's the first time I've tasted and been able to use that real blue cheese flavor. Because, yeah. um, you know, the other ones, like, I, I, nothing bad to say about them, but often they'll use spirulina or yeah. something. It's not quite as that authentic flavor. Yeah. Whereas hers, it's cashews, and then she inoculates it with this right. blue cheese and ages it and it tastes like blue cheese it was really fun for me to yeah. be using that um you know i look forward in the future of having yeah. access to that actual flavor yeah, yeah. no need to right. just you just don't need it yeah yeah don't need the uh yeah add all the added hormones and stuff you yeah your cheese yeah that's so uh that's uh makes a lot of sense and i'm definitely there's some vegan cheese brands much better than others some mm. there but that's so cool to hear about the blue cheese mold never i don't think i've seen that in stores yet no Maybe. she's she's really yeah. small like she's just been selling to chefs and yeah stuff like that but she's building up oh that'll be cool super excited to get that in stores try that out one day so um now a little bit more about uh you cooking for non-vegans now what would you say is the i guess you said I'd say the what would you say is the most positive thing first that uh, non-vegan has said to you or has happened after eating your foods? Yeah, well, the you know getting those emails yeah. that are like you know I ate your food and I decided to become a vegan. You know, I I realized I could do it. Yeah, I realized that like I you know it can be delicious. Right. I realized how good it can be. Now I'm gonna take now that I know that it can be this delicious, I'm going to go off and work on right. it. I know that there is a place where I'm eating vegan and it's satisfying all my cravings. So now I'm just, all I need to do right. is work at it and get better at it. Yeah. And I know that I'll get there, you know? So that's, that's, that's basically all I'm trying to do. That's my angle. It's like, yeah. this food is so delicious. Why do we need to ruin the earth and torture animals? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know? Wow. Great. Great. Uh, really makes sense. Really. Uh, and, uh, unfortunately I have to ask, I don't have to, but I'm, I'm interested. What's the most negative thing that's happened from, uh, well, that's the thing with the preconceived notions where people are acting based on their past experiences and on, um, being rigid in what they believe. Um, and then they just won't give it a chance, yeah. you know? Um, or they'll eat it and they won't enjoy it or they're not open yeah. to, to being in the, the experience and it just, the whole thing misses them. Yeah. It's almost like they're not paying, they're not paying attention to, right. to what's going on and they, they leave feeling the same way that they went into the meal yeah, yeah. and they're unmoved by it. And, and, uh, and that's, that's, uh, yeah. You know, that's what drives me to make the food just even more outrageously awesome oh, so that nice. no one can ignore it. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. And that makes so much sense. So uh, what would you say, message to those people now? The people out there who are a little skeptic, who uh, they're nervous to try plant-based, they've never, or vegan, never heard of it. What would you say? It's just about living in the moment. Yeah. You know, in the past... You know, the way humans evolved, you know, of course, agriculture and animals and all that stuff is a big part of it. That system just isn't the same anymore. We're not living on farms in in the 17th century here. This is, uh, you know, in order to feed everyone, you know, if you're in the moment and you look at where we are now, yeah, you can A, see how delicious this food is, you know. 
perceive right. these beautiful vegan dishes that vegan chefs are making of all course. over the world. It's the cuisine is just so many more humans are putting their effort into it that the cuisine is just so elevated. So see, be open to the moment. See how wonderful that is. Also be open to the moment and see how things have changed. You don't live in your grandparents' world yeah. anymore. It's not... There's, it's not just a sweet little farm yeah, yeah. Uh, cow living on a farm. That's just not what's going on. You've got to see what's happening in yeah. this world. Yeah. Look at the reality of where your food's coming from. Um, and yeah. that's going to affect your decision. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Watch Earthlings in Dominion, for those of you who haven't seen it. Incredible movies. Really. Uh... I mean, we live in this world where the information's out there. You're putting your head in the sand if you don't realize the conditions that these animals are facing right now you, you know you have to look at it yeah. you continue to eat it after you look at it okay but i i right infer you yeah to know you got to know first yeah, yeah. wow wow that's such a great conversation speaking with you you're really uh, experienced really ahead of your time know what's up with this for uh, those of you who don't already follow him Follow Chef Chris twenty one twelve on Instagram. I'll link his website below. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for being on this podcast today. It was awesome. It was a real pleasure to 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 be on here with you. It was a great conversation. Cool, cool. And uh, expert Chef Chris twenty one twelve. Thank you for being here, and thank you for listening. Have a great day. Bye bye.